Hey, this is Brian. Welcome to Heart to Heart, the new keys to casting with Kim Misha. In this wide-ranging conversation, we'll be diving deep into the insights of one of the most successful casting directors in the entire industry. Listen closely as she shares her thoughts on what it takes to be a working actor, the significance of self-validation for success, and how the casting landscape has evolved throughout her career. Before you listen, you've got to grab our backstage pass. It's packed with Kim's top tips, insider advice, and additional resources that will give you a competitive edge. You can grab the backstage pass by going to podcastbackstagepass.com. Do you think that virtual thing is going to be the primary thing now, even when the world comes back, as the world comes back? I think it's still going to be important to the casting process. There are producers who want to have casting in person, they prefer casting in person. So when there isn't all of this testing mandatory, and they're going to be pulling back from what I understand on testing in the near future, all the testing. So if there doesn't need to be the same level of testing in production when a show is filming, and then there doesn't need to be the same level of testing for casting, because that's what forced us into this position because it was too expensive for the studios to pay for a COVID protocol officer and all of the testing for actors. So once that's all pulls back, we're going to have more casting in person. But by the same token, I think proved to be so efficient. And there are a lot of people, and I would say more in Los Angeles than New York, who like watching, who think it's fine, who watch auditions on tape and they're fine with it. And the good thing that I always tell actors, because actors always ask me about this, like, what's the drawback for you? And I say, well, actually, I choose to look at it half full, the glass half full, because I can see so many more actors' auditions now. Now, obviously, I'm not directing them, but that's why I always tell actors when you self-tape to lay down a couple of different tapes. Imagine what could the casting director ask you? Can you make that a little angrier? Can you make that anger a little more controlled? You know, I ask them to do two different takes. And then this way now, I'm casting something with my friend John Papsidera right now for Taylor Sheridan called Lioness for Paramount Plus. And for like a two-line part, I got to watch 80 actor auditions. Hmm. It's like that a lot because they're shooting in Baltimore. So we're bringing all of these smaller roles from New York instead of Baltimore because the talent pool is just so much better here. So I'm seeing anywhere between 70 to 100 actors for one role. And I'm starting to get a theme. I'm starting to meet new, see new people that I like. What I'm saying a theme is like, I'll try some people for a variety of roles. And the people that continually stand out are like become new little office favorites for us. And that's not something probably we would have had time to do if we were in the office seeing pre-screening people in person. Because you can only fit so many people into the office in a day. As soon as you said John Papsidera's, I went to uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire because the two of you are some of the most humble people. I mean, you must love working together. He is the best. He's such a great yeah. guy. Worked with him on The Flight Attendant. He's collaborative. He's kind. He's funny. He's smart. He gets it. He's the kind of the perfect person, to, casting director to collaborate with. You know, he's just such a, a wonderful, respectful, talented guy. That's just why he's so good at it. So Kim, for our audience, like, what does that mean when you say cutting back on testing? For those people who may not know, what does that really mean? Well, I think from what I understand is that it's going to be, right now, 
if you're an actor on a television show in production, you have to test in the cadence, the testing cadence, as they call it, is three times a week. They test everybody in zone A, the cameraman. The- oh, for COVID, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was wondering what kind of test. Okay. The COVID. So they test them three times a week. That's the testing cadence. Now they're going to be pulling back on that at some point in the near future as the virus continues to mutate and get less dangerous. I mean, I just had COVID. I just, I got COVID two weeks ago. I was sick, but I wasn't. First time getting it? Mm-hmm. Have you guys had it yet? A couple times. Oh, you yeah. have? Yeah. I've never gotten it. Mark, I know people who have gotten it two times now. I got it before it was called COVID. You know, like I was on the plane heading back from Sundance, Kim, whatever, before Mark. end of January, beginning of February. And this guy behind me was like, I had to like turn around and say, is there, you know, he, he was like sneezing like all the time and he was like coughing. It was really loud. And anyway, the three days later, it just started and for three weeks. It was really bad. Oh, you were, you were that sick for three weeks? Because it was at the beginning, yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, for what you were, you were talking about, so when they cut back on testing, this is good for our audience to know. So in other words, when they test, if it's one person that has COVID, they got to shut down the set. Right. Or they have to change up the order of shooting so that person can go and isolate. For, you know, the, now the guidelines are less. It's five days to isolate and then five days with a mask. So yeah, so it totally turns shooting upside down. And because no one wanted to pay for the testing protocols for casting sessions, can you imagine how expensive that would be? To pay to find out that you're going to increase the chances of shutting down. Yeah, it would be so expensive. So it's just easier to do it this way. Just do it virtually, self-taping, Zoom sessions. We do Zoom callbacks with producers on Blue Bloods. But every once in a while, we'll do Zoom sessions. As I said, some shows, the producers are fine just seeing tapes. So for my vantage point, it's been great in that I've gotten to know a whole new group of people that I would have never known before, actors. Hey, it's Brian. I'm dropping in on an important announcement. What you need to know is you have more control over your career than you think. The thing standing between you and the career you want is your connections. And that's where one-on-one next level comes in. If you are not a member yet, you can apply to join at oneononenextlevel.com. Press pause and do that now. If you are already a member and you are ready to get back on track, we want to invite you to book a strategy session with us led by myself personally. We will help you prioritize which classes make the most sense given your career goals. You can find these under the resource hub in your account portal. We can't wait to hear your success story. So this is also about inspiration. Everybody always starts in the beginning and a lot of our people are towards the beginning of their careers. And we never talked about it, but you graduated a poli-sci graduate from Georgetown. Is that correct? Yeah. So did you you get out of school at Georgetown and go like, hey, now that I've graduated as a poli-sci major, I'm going to go into casting. You know what? I had an interest in constitutional law and I was thinking about going to law school and I was studying for the LSATs and it was just so hard. It wasn't my thing. If you were to have been a lawyer, Kim, what law do you think you would have gone towards with practice? God, I don't even know. I don't think that I'm cut out for that. You know what I mean? Like, so studying for the LSAT and having such difficulty with the practice tests was kind of, it kind of showed me you really shouldn't be doing this. I went to an all-girls boarding school, and one day 
as I was studying for the LSATs, I got a copy of the alumni bulletin and Juliet Taylor was on the cover. And I didn't know anything about casting. All I knew was, you know, I was an amateur actress when I was young and I loved following the careers of different actors and actresses. And I was always that person in the family who wanted to talk about it. No one else was interested or knew people's names. So I was like, I can't believe this is a career. So literally, I applied for an internship, got an internship and moved to New York. Where were you living at the time when you applied? Georgetown. So I just took a total left turn, moved to New York, not really knowing anything about the business. I mean, I knew, and the funny thing is, I actually knew a lot of the New York theater actors from watching the New York-based soap operas. My friends and I used to watch the soap operas. All right, so hold on, Kim. This is great. You first come to New York. Do you remember your first apartment? How did you even get a place to stay? A group of girls from Georgetown all roomed together in an apartment on... um, I can't believe you're asking this question. It's so funny. It's such a trip down memory lane. It was on Lexington and 55th above Burger Heaven. Oh, my God. The real Burger Heavens. Yeah. Yeah. So it was above Burger Heaven on Lexington and 55th. A very nice Italian gentleman owned the space. He rented it to us. And all the rest of my roommates were, one of them was in advertising. One of them was in consulting. No one was in entertainment. But I would walk to work every day because at that time, Juliet's office was at 57th between 6th and 7th. Okay, so hold on. So you sent in your resume or your application to Juliet, and then she responded while you were at Georgetown? Yeah. And then, you know, I know you started off with a whopping, like, six-figure salary because I'm just making fun because I remember working at a talent agency, you know, like, you were lucky to make, like, $18,000. Where did you work, Mark? My first thing was a place out here. It was called Bauman Hiller. Oh, yeah, Bauman Hiller. Bauman yeah. Hiller. Shawl now, or Bauman yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I, I can only imagine you coming to New York with this new apartment and you're making like peanuts, but you know, you knew what you wanted to do. So did you say to yourself, like, I got what I wanted? And I was excited. I mean, it was a whole new world. I waitressed, I waitressed at a, the American Festival Cafe to make money. And then, you know, they started hiring me for jobs like Ellen Lewis was Juliet's associate at that point, And she was casting a league of their own. So she hired me as an assistant on a league of their own. And then from there, back then they were making more movies than they do now. There were many, many more studio feature films and there weren't as many casting directors in New York. So there wasn't a lot of need for a casting assistant at any of the offices in New York. At that point, there were only, as I'm saying, a handful of casting directors, but Casting directors from Los Angeles would fly in to see actors for movies at that point in time. They didn't hire a New York person to do it. They didn't hire a New York associate to do it. They didn't have people put themselves on tape. They would fly here and do like maybe a week of pre-screens with actors and meetings with actors. And then the director would join them and they would have callbacks. And they would usually do that. They would usually rent a hotel room like the Parker Meridian. The Parker Meridian was a place that people used to do all the time. So I would bounce around that way, big movies, big studio feature films. That was a lot of fun. And then Eileen Starger, who was the vice president of casting for Touchstone Buena Vista, decided to move to New York. She's from New York, and she was looking for a full-time assistant. So I interviewed for her. After a couple of years of doing freelance stuff, and that's when I did my life's in turnaround. 
Okay, so hold on. So for Julia Taylor, how long were you with Julia Taylor for? I was there for about six months. Oh, okay. Then you went independent. How did Donnie find you for My Life is in Turnaround? A friend of mine from Georgetown was friends with one of the producers and called me and said, they need a casting director. Will you meet this guy? He's great. And so I did. And I got the job. And yeah, that was so long ago. It's actually really hard for, for me to remember the specifics beyond a friend from Georgetown put me in touch with the producers. But stories are always, you know, from the past. Like, for instance, I was struggling back then. Donnie was my next door neighbor also from the restaurant. He got me the where I got the apartment, the same guy. I hate to say this, but we spliced our cable together so we could like uh, pay half <laughs> for like time, whatever it was called back then. I don't know what it was called. But anyway, when he got that film, I mean, you know, the whole story's crazy. You know, like his partner, Eric, you know, was a cab driver and how he would always... Just anybody who he picked up that was renowned somehow, he would like say, hey, here's my script. You need to read it. And anyway, it's just a great story. And how so I actually, believe it or not, Kim, this is six degrees again. Okay, so I was going to film festivals at the time. You know, film festivals were like the beginning in New York City. And always it was like, F you, F you, someone pulls out a gun and that's the film. And we're talking a feature film. Right, right. So Donnie invited me to this film and I said, uh, Okay, yeah, let's go see. And first of all, the production value, you know, it was like very low budget, but the audience and the jokes were so funny, everyone was laughing. And I walked out of there, okay, saying, this is unbelievable. You can make a feature film for no money. And it doesn't matter about like the production quality. It matters if if you can make people laugh. That's the ticket. So believe it or not, Kim, that film made me say to myself, I'm going to start a film festival that's totally just about comedy. And I'm even going to have comedians perform before the films. And it's not going to be about these crazy films where it's just like shock value, you know, because we have no money and we'll pull out a gun. So it's your film, My Life is in Turnaround, made me say, I'm going to start the New York Comedy Film Festival. (laughs) Is that what you did? Yeah. I didn't know that. One-on-one was like in its fourth year. And I was kind of like, what next kind of thing? And I was like, because, you know, it's kind of, I can run it. And I was thinking one day I'm going to be this like big independent producer. (laughs) So the comedy is going to get me in. Anyway, long story short, that's how the uh, Comedy Film Festival was born because of that film. I didn't know that. That's incredible. So then came from that film, from doing the film festival, I had this idea where my friend was an animator and I was like, wow, we can put comedians' voices to animation and they just take their stand-up routine, put it to animation. That'll get me on the map. And so long story short, it went to Comedy Central and then they were like, we love this idea. Who's that Mark guy and what experience does he have besides this one-on-one business? He doesn't have any experience. So... They said, we're going to hire the animator and we're going to put this idea to Dennis Leary's company. And that Mark guy, we can like uh, give a little uh, something to, and, but we're going to cut him out. Long story short, I was so stupid. I didn't have a signed thing. And the idea went out there and it, they actually didn't do it. But I was so distraught. I was like, you know what? That route that I always thought the comedy film festival would get me in the, forget, I'm just going to run one-on-one. <laughs> Anyways, that's the story. But that was a great. I mean, look what you started there. You were very prescient about 
animating, you know, using the animation for the comedy. I mean, that was also pressing. You're really ahead of your time. It was just this sharky business aspect of it. Yeah, thank you. But back to my life's in turnaround, your fi- the film that you cast, it's so funny how like I never knew until just now, like just to let you know that that was the thing that started for me. So can you imagine by being casting director and working on a film like that? And you know, that film obviously today in the gauge of all the things you've done is like not nearly as large of a budget or, but you know, it, it you reach so many people in so many different ways by being part of a film. And by the way, the casting, did you cast Sheila Jaffe? I think that was their idea. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Cause no, Donnie's friend. I can only, but you did a great job. I love that film. Thank you. No, it was a really fun project to work on. And you know, you read any books about, independent film in the 90s that's one of those films you know what i mean like that's one of those hallmark films from that early period so it's kind of neat to have been involved with that it's not something i think about a lot now because it feels so different from what i'm casting now but when you take me back to that it's kind of neat to have been a part of that so we're back to eileen starger so you start working for eileen starger i started working for and now you've you've worked for juliet now let me ask you when you went from Juliet to independently doing like my life's in turnaround and to Eileen. So I'm sure financially it was still a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle. And the only reason I'm saying this, Kim, is because I want everybody to know, you know what? You've got to hang in there. So, okay. So I won't interrupt. So you're, it was a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle. And you do have to hang in there. Certainly. I think that's the reason why there's a big attrition rate with casting because it's such a high volume, high energy, high stress field. And there's not, a great financial reward. You know, if I wanted to be wealthy, I would have worked on Wall Street. I'm never going to be that person. But it was, it definitely was a struggle. But working for her, the thing that was neat about it was we were working on all these big studio films, these important directors, and Scott Rudin produced almost all the pictures that we worked on at that point. And he's, I know what's gone down recently about Scott Rudin, and I obviously I don't really want to, necessarily have that conversation, but just somebody who knew story and writers and directors and actors the way he did, that was an education in and of itself. You know, he knew everybody. He knew everybody. He knew what was going on with everybody. He had relationships with everybody in London, Los Angeles, New York. He knew actors. He knew stuff about actors before we knew stuff about actors. I get information from an actor's agent, but he would be already five steps ahead of us. He'd already know more. So working on those films, as I said, was a great education. Eileen was also sort of a film encyclopedia herself. And it was almost like going to film school, you know, a makeshift film school with her giving me the names of some great classic films to watch when I worked for her. And we went to the theater a lot. So that was a really neat experience. Really great, really great learning experience. Very foundational for me. So in terms of like the struggles, like obviously you're now one of the largest casting offices in all of New York City. When did you look around and be like, you know what? Like I made it. Yeah. Like for instance, after Eileen, then did you, is that when you broke off with Beth? No. When I worked with Eileen, we deviated a little bit from the Paramount movie that we were casting, you know, all the Paramount pictures that we were doing. And we did a feature film for HBO films back when they were doing films, when they had a big film division, more than their original programming. Her friend, James Lapine, the musical director, yeah, he was doing a movie starring Susan Sarandon called Earthly Possessions based on an Alice Tyler. Is that the writer's name? So he was doing a movie version of that 
and they asked Eileen to do it. And I became friends with the head of casting at HBO. Her name was Carrie Frazier. And Carrie and Eileen are two, still two of my dearest friends and mentors today, actually. So when I left Eileen, it coincided with Carrie looking for a manager of casting while her manager went out on maternity leave. At HBO? Yeah. So I went to LA. Wow. I lived in LA for almost a year working at HBO Films. That was when Colin Callender was the head of HBO Films. And what were some of the projects when you were there for the year that you worked on? I worked on a movie called Havana Nights with Andy Garcia. And then we were doing a lot of development. You know what I mean? Like a lot of list making for projects that were upcoming. We worked on a movie that Jim McKay directed, the independent film director, Jim McKay. Are you kidding? Yeah, I love Jim. The show that was the most fun to work on, honestly, that I have the best recollections of was this movie called 61 about Roger Maris's mm-hmm. record-breaking home run season and his relationship with Mickey Mantle. And the casting director was this woman named Mally Finn. Mally Finn, she's not with us anymore. One of the most brilliant casting directors I've ever worked with and just getting to know the talent in Los Angeles through Mally's sessions was mind-boggling. I mean, so many incredible actors that I learned from that project, the Los Angeles community. So that was really neat. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun working in that kind of a corporate structure where you're getting paid steadily and you're involved. You're going to development meetings. So you're getting to learn what the studio is working on developing, what they're optioning, putting together lists and educating people about actors that you think would be right to star in their films. It was really, really a neat experience. I loved it. Would you say this is true, Kim? This is my philosophy, but you can ixnay it if you don't like it. So if I was going to tell Brian like today, he's going to be a director tomorrow, first film ever, and I was going to give him advice, I would say to him, okay, first, find a brilliant piece of writing. But if he can't find a brilliant piece of writing, okay, let's just say he's stuck with just a good piece of writing. Okay. But the writing is the key, like something that's written really well, like screenplay. But number two, if he can find good actors for, let's just say the good writing, they can make good writing great and they can make great writing sensational. So if Brian can find great actors for this good writing, then 90% of his job as a film director is done. Now, do you agree with that or no? Well, I don't know if I would say 90% of his job is done, but yes, having been a casting director as long as I have, I do agree with you that great actors can elevate the writing. Good casting can elevate the writing for sure. The two major components of anything are the writing and the casting. Okay. So as a casting director, it's got to be so exciting. We're going to come back to HBO because that year and then the next step, but it's got to be exciting when you know, you're like auditioning let's just say the callbacks, five actors for this certain role. And then someone comes in the room and you just go, whoa, when I read it, I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind, but it's sensational because they're doing it their way. Is that true? Is elaborate if you could. That is beautiful that you just said that because that is the most exciting thing for a casting director in a session and for the writer and director too. Oftentimes when an actor comes in and almost informs you about things about the character that none of you even realized through their performance. That is the neatest thing. When all of a sudden they leave the room and you understand the character in a different way because of the life that they brought to it and their unique interpretation, 
And when a writer says, I never realized the character did was blotty blah, you know, that is so neat. That is really, really exciting. I was never a casting director, but I used to do all the auditioning for one-on-one to become a member. The actors would audition. And when someone would come in the room and they would do that, and it didn't happen that often, but oh my gosh, it, it just, you know, it, the whole, my tears would cut all that stuff. It's just the greatest feeling. It is. It's a really exciting feeling. It's like, oh my gosh, we all just witnessed magic happen. It's rare. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, it's super exciting. Okay. So you had a great experience in LA and then all of a sudden do they say, Hey, time for you to go to New York. Well, my friend came back from maternity leave. So there was no more position. <laughs> so I came back to New York well, hold on. Before you get there, so your friend came back from maternity leave. Did the thought occur to you, hey, maybe I'll stay out here? It did. I really liked it, but all of my loved ones were back here. Okay. So I thought, I'm just going to go back to New York now. And my friend, Gail Levin, she's a casting director. She was the head of Paramount Casting for a long time, but she does all of Cameron Crowe's movies. So when I was working with Eileen, I had been her associate on Almost Famous and she wanted me to be her right-hand woman in New York for Vanilla Sky. So I came back to New York and I did that. And while I was kind of looking around for work, Bonnie Finnegan called me and said, Glenn Gordon Karen, who did Moonlighting and Bull, Glenn is looking for casting director. I can't do it. His new show. It's good to do TV as a partner especially if you've never done it before. And I had never done it before. So since you had never done it before, we're gonna, at that point, what would you say is a difference? In, is there a difference in as a casting director in what you're seeing in the acting from television to film or no? There's always a difference in tones. So not necessarily from feature to TV, but like just in the tone of the material you have to be aware of. And then you're casting that way. Certainly there was a, at that time, there was a different population of actors who would do TV from the actors who would do film. Now, as you know, it's all merged. So it was definitely, there was a lot that I didn't know. And then the pace was so much faster. Mm. That was a big thing. Just the pace was so fa- I mean, eight days to cast an episode when you had 10 weeks to do a feature film. And Kim, you said something really interesting that I'd never heard of. And I don't think most of our you know, listeners, most of our members even know. You said in television, it's always good to cast it with a partner. That's what Bonnie said. Bonnie said it's great to have someone to bounce things off of. Mm. Neither one of us had actually been a casting director before. We had both worked for Bonnie at various points in our career. You're talking about Beth now? Yeah, yeah. So listen, so how did you meet Beth? Through Bonnie. So when you went to your first day at Bonnie, was Beth there too? Was that her first day? No, no. This is when Bonnie, so during my freelancing period, I had worked for Bonnie for a couple of months. And the same with Beth, when she was freelancing around the city, she had worked for Bonnie for a period. Our paths didn't overlap there, but when Bonnie couldn't do this new series that Glenn was casting, she thought we might be good together. Oh my, so you and Beth would be good together. Yeah, so literally, we didn't know one another. Oh my God, she matched you up. Yeah, we knew of one another, but we didn't know one another. Wow. That's incredible. How many years has it been since then? That was 2001. That's incredible. I mean, look, as you know, like, this is terrible to say, but I would say at least 90% of marriages don't make it to 21 years. So for you to be 21 years together, I don't care 
what's happening, the fact that you're together is a, that's incredible. It's a feat, isn't it? Because we're really different. And I have seen so many casting partnerships break apart over the years during that time before, you know, since. So, yeah, I think, you know, as we've grown, when we first started out, we would do everything together. Now we split projects. And I think most casting partnerships that I know do that. Like, I think Bonnie and Steve kind of split projects. Julie, Tucker, and Ross Meyerson split projects. So everyone is involved with helping out with ideas and everything and giving one another advice and feedback and so forth when you're dealing with sticky situations. But then there's just one person who is on the show. So can you ever see like one project coming up in the future where you say, hey, Beth, for old time's sake, let's both do this together? We did. We started out on a pilot together that was last year. I think we had a very short period of time to cast it and it was really intense. So we both did it for a while together. And then Harlem came back earlier than we thought. So I went back on to Harlem. We did about half the pilot together and then I left. So Kim, I'm fascinated with when two people come together, it's like science class, two chemicals, because no two chemicals are usually the same. So, you know, like when you came back together for that short time, it's funny that the chemicals always, it must have been like, you know, just a, a nice reminder. Yeah, they interact the same way. Yeah, they interact the same way. Yeah, so no matter if 10 years went by or, but the cool thing is, as you get older, you get wiser. So those things that may be in any human being that may be, you can deal with everything so much better. You can, because you definitely can, you know where not to invest your energy. You know what I mean? Where to like let things go, recognize the other person's strengths, just like we know one another's strengths and weaknesses now. And so we were able to dovetail those very well. And then the other stuff where we're just really different, we just kind of didn't, you know what I mean? Like you're saying, it doesn't bother you. You deal, you handle things differently. Just like a marriage. Just like a marriage. Yeah. It yeah. It's like a wow. marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I was so intrigued by, you know, this, I never knew that you know, this is how you and Beth kind of divvied up your work. And it's so interesting. We kind of get a glimpse of our instructor's personalities. And I would say you and Beth are really different, but it really is like a marriage. It, it works. <laughs> yeah. I think if we were the same, it wouldn't work as well. Right. Like if we had the same strengths and weaknesses, I think the fact that we've got different strengths and weaknesses have been to our benefit as a partnership, as a business, so to speak. Now that we're on you and Beth's, you know, your office is kind of my earlier question is you guys are one of the biggest casting offices in town. When did you think like you made it? I don't know. That is such a good question. I really don't know. Was it with Blue Bloods? Was it with, I see a note here that you gave Chadwick Boseman his first TV role and put John Hamm on the map. Yeah. I think Mad Men was really exciting because we got a lot of, affirmation from our colleagues, from our casting colleagues. So that was a big deal because we were still at that point, really, I don't want to say struggling, but you know, it was hard. Like we worked for John Wells for about five years on third watch and we did East coast stuff for shameless and the West wing and ER. but then he, I feel like his Warner brothers restructured his deal. So they didn't have the need for us in New York anymore there was still always that financial struggle to kind of make ends meet at that point, even up until Mad Men. And then I think once Mad Men was received so well critically, when we had the affirmation from our peers, we started getting more work. I would say that when you mentioned Blue Bloods, I would say that that was a turning point 
Mm. You know, just because it's such a huge, long-running, iconic show. It is. It's a huge, long-running show, and it just kind of coincides with our busiest period. We've just been busy for the past several years. It's not like I can take all the credit for that or me and Beth, you know, we're just so good at what we do. We also have this great film and tax credit that's been integral to us being busy. Just like, you know, the busy casting offices in New York, we all are beneficiaries of the film and tax credit. And that's why it's so important to lobby to keep it going, especially if, you know, we need to keep Kathy Hochul in office because she's a proponent of the film and tax credit. Lee Zeldin has said he is not. So if we don't have a governor behind the film and tax credit, that means less work for everybody. Hey folks, Brian here. Mark and I often cringe when people call one-on-one next level a workshop studio because we are so much more than that. You and I both know that not all workshop studios are the same. And I can tell you with complete confidence that no other studio offers the same level of care or programming that we do. And we do so with pride. Here's just a few examples. I'm Emily, and before one-on-one next level, I was in a super dark place in my career. I tried a lot of things to find representation, but nothing seemed to work and I felt invisible. Then almost as a Hail Mary, I signed up for a manager session. It was incredible, but it was also the thing to land me a manager. Since then, I booked a national commercial, I've gone on to create a thriving voiceover career and signed with an agent, all through these classes and programs. One-on-one Next Level has been the single most important thing that's influenced my acting career and life in so many ways. I'm Neil. In the last year, I booked two co-stars and one top-of-show guest star on major TV series. I also shot my first lead in a feature film. In fact, I've hit 20 big milestones thanks to the connections that I've made in classes at One-on-One Next Level. The key has been getting in front of casting directors, and that's why I love One-on-One Next Level. If you're not a member yet, What are you waiting for? Every actor deserves face time with the people in the business who can move your career forward. And one-on-one next level can help you do that. Did you know one-on-one next level produces over 335 events and classes each month? Whether you join us in person or attend on Zoom, you can meet with A-list casting directors, filmmakers, TV showrunners, and executive producers, as well as agents and managers when you become a member. These days, it's harder and harder to get real face time with industry pros, but one-on-one next level makes it possible. To become a member, visit www.oneononenextlevel.com and click join. We can't wait to hear your success story. You had mentioned, you know, some financial struggles, you know, at the, at the beginning. And, you know, obviously people don't go into casting to, you know, become like Wall Street rich. This is your passion. You're doing what you love. Was there ever a point where like, you know, there was like a really hard year where you were like, why am I even bothering with this? I should, you know, take the law exam again. And what helped you get through that hump? I think that that was just like every year was like that when Beth and I were first partners for the first several years, every year was like that. I think it was really important for, I can't speak for Beth. But I think it was important for me, and I do think it was important for her, for us to be able to prove to ourselves that we were able to do this, that we were able to earn a living doing this, that we were able to succeed. We both went out on our own at about the same time in our lives. That's a few years younger than me. And we both knew we wanted to be casting directors. So I think when you've put so many years into something, you want to prove it to yourself. So, yeah. I think just faith in ourselves, faith in ourselves that we were good at what we did. We loved what we did and we knew we could do it if we just kept pushing through, but it was hard. Yeah. So from the experience you've lived, when you hear the term 
where there's a will, there's a way. Now, for instance, as you know, acting is a very difficult challenge to become a working actor. But contrarily, you're giving your story and you can't compare because it's a different journey, a path. But where there's a will, there's a way. You're like saying just two minutes ago, oh, well, we got lucky because the governor, you know, obviously these laws have, have helped us get work. Well, yeah, yeah, they have. But you know what? You put yourself in that position because you willed yourself to that position. Do you believe when it comes to like an actor, if they really do believe they will emerge? I think as an actor, you need to be in it for the long haul and be really realistic about it. You really need to stay on top of what's going on in the business and the ebbs and flows of the business. Yeah. Which is what Beth and I did too. I mean, we're very aware of what's going on around us. We stay involved. So I think that you need to be that kind of a person as an actor. I don't think you can come to New York with stars in your eyes and think in a year, I'm going to be starring on Broadway. You have to be in, in it for the long haul and have that belief in yourself and continue to invest in yourself creatively. You need to continue to study, to fill yourself up creatively, read, watch movies, watch scripted programming, study, take classes, all of it. If you're a talented person and you're working hard and you're sticking with it and you're not straying from your goal, you can become a working actor. I mean, I think you do have to have the bare bones. You do have to have the talent at the core of it, though. There are a lot of people who come to New York and say they want to be an actor. I think for some people, I'm not sure that they know why they want to be an actor when they try it. I think it seems like a, to some people a fun lifestyle or being famous being a celebrity who really want to act with it, you know, and they treat it as a serious business. And the ones who, you know, maybe like you said, they're not so sure. It's just like you with law school, you said to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to go that route. Right. And there are those actors that do that for sure. Yeah. After like a few years. After a few years. Yes. I think you need to immerse yourself in it and decide if it's the right lifestyle and field for you. Yeah. But, you know, I did a talk at Juilliard several years ago when we were casting The Enemy Within to the third-year students with Jennifer Carpenter and Morris Chestnut, the stars of the show. And I was so impressed by Jennifer talking about, even as a young woman in Juilliard, that's why we were there, because Jennifer was a graduate of Juilliard. I mean, a talented young woman, she's a talented person. She knew she wanted to be an actor, and that's the kind of, single-pointed focus that I think you're talking about that an actor needs to have. She had the goods. She had the natural ability. She studied. Then she said she treated herself like a business. She treated herself like she was the manager of her own business brand, etc. She managed herself. She managed herself. She knew, she said, when she would go into an audition, she knew she would be up against incredibly talented people. And she said, I know that I can work harder than any of these people on this audition. And I know that I can, she had this belief in herself and she worked really hard. She said, if I'm going up against X, Y, and Z, my secret weapon is that I'm going to work harder than any of them. So that's how she treated it. Every single opportunity and managed herself, you know, like managed herself emotionally, not to let herself get down. I mean, she's a very disciplined person and it was really inspiring listening to her talk to the students. That's great. 
And, you know, I think it's so helpful as most of our listeners are actors, you know, they sometimes we've had some previous managers and, you know, like producers on our podcast and stuff. And they kind of share the things that they love about what they do, but also some of the struggles. And I think sometimes, you know, with actors, they think maybe like their journey is the only one where oh they're having a you know horrible day or there's challenges or there's barriers. I think it's been really helpful for them to hear from, you know, like casting directors and other people, like what are some of the things in your day to day that you find to be a struggle or that you find to be challenging and a roadblock? I will say sometimes working with more inexperienced writers and directors, it's a struggle because they're afraid to say yes to an actor. So we have to see more actors. They're not sure, or they'll let really good actors go because they didn't see exactly what they envisioned rather than directing them. That's when I cast episodes of television like that, that's a struggle. I think it makes the job harder and we're putting actors through a lot of cases and it takes a lot longer. You know, I think it's, it's frustrating when Beth and I are really passionate about a project. We go up for a project that a really busy office is going up against and the really busy office gets it Mm. versus us. No, one of those offices that has a million projects going on at once. There are a couple, there are a couple on both coasts. And so when we're in a really slow period and we don't have anything going on and we're not working and that office gets it, it's depressing. Mm, yeah. In a way, it's very parallel to actor's journey too sometimes. I was just going to say, it's parallel to an actor's journey. Like, wait a second, you know, why is Nicole Kidman starring in this again? She stars in everything. Now she's on this streaming platform too. You know what I mean? I get it. Why are all the names who are offered everything now being offered the pilot roles in television? That's so frustrating as an actor, because years ago, those were the roles that the working actor got. Yeah. Yeah. This is why it's helpful. (laughs) Yeah. It's the feast or famine thing. Well, like, you know, everyone wants the same actor. It's just like everyone wants the same casting director. So Kim, we're coming home to the finish line, but I just wanted to ask you, let's just say you, since you started television, you started getting involved in Have you seen a difference in, number one, anything to do with the acting style since you started a while ago, or have you noticed a difference in the acting world since you started? In the acting style, I've definitely noticed when I started out for on-camera work, there was definitely this tendency to tell actors to throw it away and pick up the pace all, all the time. That's all it was. So to the point where it was so ingrained in the lexicon that I had to, every time I teach a class or audition an actor, I would find myself asking them to slow down and to find the emotional resonance in the character and in the scene. Because when you're actually giving the producer or director something to work with, then they can rein you in. But if you're flattening yourself out for the purpose of being on camera, you're not giving them anything to work with. It's not really fun to watch as a viewer. When you're watching a drama, you want to see the actor being dramatic. You don't want to see them being playing it. When you're doing a network drama, you don't want to see the actor playing it realistic. That's not what it is. So that's a big trend that I've seen a difference in. Wow. And I'd be remiss, you know, if we didn't mention, you know, how you've been just one of Mark's favorite instructors here for such a long time. You know, your classes, you know, give so much to the actors. You know, there's some who, you know, obviously think that, oh, casting directors shouldn't teach and like, you know, like don't have anything to offer. But here we obviously don't have that, you know, thinking. I'd love to just hear from you, like why you love, you know, your classes and why you feel so strongly that, you know, about the things that you do convey to actors. 
you know, I think it's a great forum for actors to be in a room with a professional person who does it as a living. It's a really great educational experience for them, honestly, to be able to hear about the way things work in the business and to be able to hear a casting director, like straight from the casting director's mouth, what is meaningful in an audition and what doesn't matter in an audition. What The stuff that you don't need to worry about, the stuff that you do need to worry about. Because otherwise they're just talking to their friends. And they're making guesses, you know, or they're they're making mistakes that they don't know that they're making. So I think it's really important. I think it's really great as an actor to be able to have that avenue to be able to learn and to be able to ha- actually sample what it's like to have an audition with a casting director or audition for an agent. I think it's a great thing that you started, Mark. I really do. I think it's really helpful for the actors. And I, and I frankly just I enjoy it because I really like actors. I really like actors. I see their idealism. I see their excitement. I see how hard they're, they're working. They really want to become working actors, and I want to help support them. It's, it's inspiring when I'm at the end of a long day, rather than having a cranky group of people who can't make a decision, which oftentimes is the case on a TV show, having 16 faces smiling at you, excited for the class. It's just a really great feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is why I do this. Look at all these bright young or old faces, you know, who are really excited about this and are excited to dive in and do the work and, and are sponges. I think it's fun. It's interesting because this whole thing started by, I'm your biggest fan just because you've always had that humility. And from teaching, right, there are always those people who say like, you know, burn them all down. They shouldn't be teaching, you know, there's that pay to play and all that stuff. And they, they don't realize the impact that what you're saying is, is why we stick doing what we do because- we don't make any bones about it. You should study with acting teachers. But if you're taking class here, you're getting something completely, not only different, but valuable that's going to help you. So I was going to ask you, as a casting director that's always so busy and it's a different format, whether you're in the room or watching now online, does it help you get a pulse of what's happening today by being in the classroom? Because I would think it would. You know, just by being with actors the way you want, you do in the classroom. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It shows me what people are gravitating towards. It shows me what people are watching and what people are watching to help them grow as actors. They're watching scripted programming. They're not watching big studio features anymore. I don't, when actors choose their own material, for instance, I don't get as often a scene from a classic movie like I used to. I get stuff that they choose from stuff that they watch streaming or on network and what they're interested in watching what they all talk about watching actors today are really sophisticated they're watching really the really smart stuff they always want to know what i'm watching we always exchange ideas about what we're enjoying watching so they're really sophisticated actors it's a really smart group of people and i think just the fact that we have so much more available to us via the internet and social media is helpful to them in that regard. It's so much easier to research, to access, to watch than ever before. I mean, you know, years ago, it was much harder to, to find out about different shows and read up on actors and their histories and everything. You'd have to buy magazines or go get a copy of Backstage. I mean, Kim, you know, it's incredible. I know everybody knows the, the whole thing, Alec, how they found the lead character for MJ. That's social media. I think he like submitted himself through, I don't know, Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's miraculous, isn't it? And I think that actors have an opportunity today like never before. 
I really mm-hmm. do. I do want to remind actors as frustrating as it can be when they're auditioning in a vacuum, when they feel like they're auditioning in a vacuum because they're self-taping is that they have a greater chance of being seen than before because we have the time. That's exciting. Yeah. It's a big boon for them. So to look at the bright side of it that way, I, as I said, I've gotten to know so many actors over the pandemic that I probably wouldn't have if we had this finite number of hours in the office. Uh, Kim, well, you know what? Thank you. You have no idea how happy you made the two of us and just has been such a pleasure sharing this time together. It was great sharing the time with you and hearing about your history, Mark. I mean, who knew <laughs> about the comedy festival and animation comedy? These were your brainstorms, but it doesn't surprise me because you have such an inspiring spirit. It's just the way you even the environment that you provide the students with when they go to the in-person studio, you know, the inspirational sayings, everything that you provide the students, the integrity that you run the school with. It's just really fantastic. And we've known one another for so long. I'm really thrilled. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it yet, grab the Backstage Pass. You've got to get the Backstage Pass. There's behind-the-scenes footage. We've taken the biggest takeaways from the episode and written them down for you. There's also tools and resources to help move your career forward. It's the easiest way to turn this podcast into a tool for your career as opposed to something you just listen to as you're doing the dishes. 